You're listening to a podcast from 702. And so we head on over now to the phone lines and speak to Lebukhang Mokubela, um, the CEO of Lemok Group. Lebukhang, good afternoon. Thank you so much for your time today. Afternoon, how are you? Lebukhang, I have very little to complain about. I hope you are well too. I'm good, thanks. Yeah. You, um, and, and I guess this is this a, a description that you use for yourself uh, as a township entrepreneur. Um, tell me why you use that tag specifically, if you do. So basically all my businesses are structured on the basis that we are township-based first and foremost. Um, although my businesses operate in the mainstream economy are not sure. necessarily... Hi, Lebrun. Okay, seems as though our phone lines have... Okay, Lebrun, I'm going to ask you to repeat that again because the sound dipped out and I thought we'd lost you. So um, let's start from the top. Why do you, you, why do you consider yourself a township entrepreneur or call yourself one? All right, we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to ask my producers to get Lebukhang back on the line. But just to give you a heads up of who we're talking about, Lebukhang is the CEO of Lemok Group, and uh, um, it's a digital agency that uh, hails from uh, Sochanguve, the east of Pretoria. And he started his first business in 2009, just a year after he'd matriculated high school. That business ran for two years up until 2011, and uh, he freelanced at various companies and various agencies. Um, and uh, after starting his journey in corporate in 2012, he was promoted um, and seemed to, you know, do very, very well for himself. And I'm curious to find out from Lebohang, you know, why not stay on that corporate track where you climb that ladder, uh, you secure the bag, you know, you make that money, uh, you get that those lovely corporate perks. Because, of course, entrepreneurship, as we see all around us, can be a precarious journey under the best conditions. And then something like a pandemic, the COVID-19. Uh, pandemic comes along and uh, you know scuppers everybody's plans looks like we've got Lebohang Mokubela back on the line Lebohang let's see if that line is clearer hi um, can you hear me now absolutely loud and clear um, tell me about um, Lemok Group how you operate and why you still why you define yourself as a township entrepreneur so basically before with Lemok Group I used to work for another agency that worked in with basically um, corporate businesses on the marketing Perspective. Sure. And um, one was, so I was director of that agency um, in charge of strategy and doing marketing campaigns for those companies. One of my major issues was majority of our clients were speaking to township audiences, but you know, m- m- uh, marketing campaigns to the township audience were almost templated. Mm. It was almost that thing of saying, you know, let's put, uh, let's snap a logo on a stress ball and a t shirt and let's make them dance on the stage and we'll give them free t shirts. And to some miraculous way, this will then talk to sales and brand affinity and all those things. And I thought, I am from the township myself. I may be living, I may have lived in four weeks at that time. Sure. But I was born and bred in a township. And me being a township person, this will not appeal to me. It actually undermines me. Mm. Um, so I realized that a lot of these marketing agencies, and particularly also the corporates, didn't really get it. When we talk about township, I think people always saw, or even today, we still have people that see townships as people that are living in shacks, that don't have cars, you know, people that are in poverty. And although that may be two certain segments of of the township economy, but there's still a new reality where there are people that are actually millionaires that live in the township purely out of choice, purely because they love the township, not because they are forced 
to be in those areas. One of them is my friend who is also a millionaire but lives in the township, you know. So, sure. um, so I, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to quit here and I'm going to start my own agency focused on digital marketing, which was the first division um, we started out of the Mock Group that focused specifically on talking to brands that want to talk to township audiences, but also from a level of understanding. Even the team that I hired are people that either have lived in the township or live in the township, and the business in itself is based in the township. So we live and breathe this um, audience that we, we talk to. We don't see them through statistics, but we see them mm. through experience and, and being living the culture every day. So that we started the mock group out of the agency thing, and then we grew to launching Libra, which is our smartphone, um, that we launched last year in December, and now in June we're launching Kati Mobile, which is um, a, a mobile network that's specifically on data that talks to the township audience as well. Launches on launches on launches. I absolutely love it. I love the nuanced uh, perspective and the nuanced way of doing business um, or, or aiming your message to, you know, black consumers, but also township consumers. Because, of course, we know that yeah. it's a nuanced lived experience. Right. And I think yeah. what you touched on, that hot button issue of uh, being sold things. And there's always some, uh, you know, some big booty mama dancing for a product, whether it's soap or tea or a T-shirt, you know, it, it really can be quite galling and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and put you off a brand for life now Funny. you know I'm, I'm quite interested uh, Labohang to talk about your journey because you've blown through your achievements and it sounds seamless it sounds like there were no hurdles but you know I, as I was sort of introducing you and giving our listeners you know a background on who you are and what you've done over the years um, it's mm. easy you, you did pretty well in corporate um, and it, it's easy for so many people to stay within that you know climbing that corporate ladder because in many ways ways um the template has been laid down you don't have to pioneer new ground um it's not always comfortable it may not always allow you to flourish uh, spiritually emotionally but you know it's it's been done before tell me yeah. about um just the difficulties the insights that you've gleaned over the years of starting your own digital marketing agency and you know uh, trying to convince a client that I am the person, I'm, I'm the person that you actually want to hire to take your message, your message to your target audience, even though you are so accustomed to just hopping across the road here and forways here in Santon and, and talking yeah. to these people that, um, that you see and bump into at your usual restaurants. So, so I think the first thing was, you know, when we, when we launched the mortgage agency back in 2015 and we branded ourselves as a township based business, with a whole invoice of the social Google address. Um, it was it was it was a bit of a taboo when we were pitching at the level that we were pitching at. Mm. Um, so we were actually excluded out of out of a lot of um, pitches purely because people didn't they assumed that we did not have the capacity. Um, because yeah. I think I think the the the, the the mindset behind township businesses or especially digital agencies is just a guy who did a course in IT somewhere and knows how to code a website and has a little bit of understanding with Facebook and he's charging 2,000 rand and that, that was the mentality. Um, and not necessarily people that have corporate experience that understand how to do this thing called digital. Mm. So the, the first thing was to, was to create credibility around that brand. So in the beginning, that that was you. We, we basically took a long-term view because we understood that that will not be changed overnight. So we immediately went into a whole PR drive to drive credibility through PR, but at the same time, using my own personal brand um, to build up that um, credibility. 
Um, so we started working purely with um, small businesses just to build also a track record of in our portfolio. Um, as a result, actually, we started um, lending clients in other countries. Um, so we started lending clients in Angola, um, um, Mozambique, and one in Florida, USA. Interesting. And, and then we, we grew from there and we started, in, and then we pivoted to working purely in the shopping center environment where we actually did an interview on 702, that mm-hmm. was back in 2017. And I was called in to speak about the agency and I had the interview and funny enough, one of the directors and um, one of the property companies was listening on the interview. Yes. And during the interview, called my office, um, left the message and everything. So after I got out of the interview, switched on my phone, got a message from my office, called the person, set up a meeting. Three days later, we signed one of the property, <laughs> property companies as a, as a client. And it just grew from that. And so based on the work that we did also with lending international clients, um, as a township-based business, that, that led to, you know, um, me being awarded the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award at Standard Bank Sony Business Award mm. in 2016. And we grew from that. So the challenges have been there. I think the, the advantage, to, to be honest, the, the privilege that I had was sure. the fact that I had corporate experience. Mm. And mm. I knew how to navigate, and I was mentored very well, actually. And I knew how to navigate, and I knew when I was going to brand ourselves as a business, as a township-based business, those are the nuances and the issues that I was going to come against. Absolutely. So I, I, I already had a plan of action. I think the biggest challenge for me was from a personal level where, you know, like I said, I was a director at the agency that I used to work for. So I had a beautiful salary. I was living in four ways. You know, it was nice. It was nice, nice, like problem. Yeah. And they, then literally overnight, everything stopped because I quit, moved out of the apartment, went back home to Sochanguve, and I had a car that was paying five, five and a half thousand rand on this car. And I think for a good eight months of starting my company, I was making an average of 500 rand. Sure. And so there was no way I was going to yeah. see that car. So that car so, got me possessed, and yeah. Level, you know... I'm interested, obviously, we're going to talk about very briefly about uh, Libra. I'm just looking at the clock. Time, unfortunately, just flies by. Um, I'm yeah. going to, we're going to move on to mobile and, and, um, your, your place in the, your, your playing in the space of smartphones. Very briefly, yeah. though, we are under lockdown. COVID-19 was something that nobody could have foreseen, nor as an entrepreneur, something you'd even have, you know, in scenario planning, even imagined. Yeah. How has this time forced you to relook your business, if at all? Um, because, of course, you are digital for the most part. Perhaps there's not much yeah. of an on-ramp when it comes to thinking differently. But in the long term, how's it? How is it making you think about your business and think about work? So, from a digital agency perspective, nothing has changed because, mm-hmm. uh, like I, that's a digitized business in itself. Um, we work with remote teams. Um, so our office is literally just an address. We work remotely. So on a digital perspective, we digital agency perspective, nothing has changed there. Um, it's just the matter of COVID-19 affecting our clients. That's yes. uh, the only impact. But in terms of our own business, nothing of much there. But with our smartphone business, when we launched the first smartphone, it was in, in production in China purely because of the price difference of manufacturing this side. Sure. And obviously now the, the COVID-19 started that side and then they they got a lockdown. So from mid-Feb, we had no stock coming in. Mm. So that legit killed our cash flow because 
Um, we had we had orders coming in and we couldn't fulfill those orders. So there were a lot of refunds that were going out and things like that. So there was just issues uh, upon issues. Then we met people from the Housing Growth and Development Agency. Then we had to fast track our plans to manufacture in South Africa. So we had a 10-year plan to manufacture here. Yeah. So now we have to we actually the new model will be manufactured this side. Um, um, once the whole lockdown thing allows us to start manufacturing, mm. and, so, and in terms of in terms of our very quickly in terms of our local um, our, our local landscape, how uh, how inexpensive or how much more expensive is manufacturing here at home? Obviously, keeping in mind that when we do come out of lockdown, the rate of unemployment will have grown. Um, people yeah. needing you know access to resources or becoming economically active will be uh, yeah. a, a real factor as well. What will that look like in terms of your planning? Will it be easy, cheaper to manufacture here? To be honest, not really. Remember, manufacturing costs are based on input costs. Mm-hmm. So the higher the input cost, the more you pay to manufacture. So things like labor in our country is expensive. Um, things like the rent to dollar. To be honest, we only 45% of our device will be manufactured here. Sure. Some of the parts will have to, we have to import. Now looking at where the rent is sitting, automatically that kicks us out. Mm. Um, then you also look at import duties and things like that. So it just rates up the cost. Mm. So it's um, not offset at all by any kind of any look at um, labor costs being lowered by sheer dint of um, the uh, uh, people seeking employment. Not really, because mm. now what happens is that the skill set becomes more expensive because it is it is is it's in it's in demand. Gotcha. Yeah. So it becomes more expensive. So it becomes expensive, actually. Okay. So the skill set then becomes more expensive. Um, even though we are doing contract manufacturing where we're outsourcing to another manufacturer, we're not building our own factory. But obviously those costs hit them, therefore hit us. All right. um, so it's not necessarily cheaper. So our model, just like the mobile, mobile network, is to play the long game, play the volume game, and take down our margins. Rather we make less, but um, still be able to be affordable too. South African. Yeah, we absolutely do need um, uh, a South African uh, entrepreneur and innovator to make it uh, long term, right? We don't want the big splashy yeah. reviews and premiers. We want to see you in 10 years' time, 15 years, 20 years' time. Gassi Mobile, um, that launch uh, looked like what? Well, it looked like music, <laughs> apparently, or a call waiting ring tune. Um, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure if we'll have time to get back to our Pro Friday profile interview, Lewakang Mokvela. But, you know, check him out online. Sounds incredibly motivated, incredibly um, sure about his plans for the future. And I really, really do hope that um, he stays on track and maintains, you know, his, his vision uh, for his Gassi Mobile as well as the Libra phone, because, of course, we know what's awaiting for us at the end of lockdown and during this pandemic and that is unfortunately more South Africans seeking work, seeking employment and just looking for a place to make sure that their skills are taken up and utilised and of course money comes back into the home and into the household. There was Lebo Mokubela, CEO of Limok.